This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Here's the message. That was one of the things I was going to say first. Mark took the words either off my script or either. Grab the nugget God has got for you today and hang on to it. Don't let it go as though your life depended on it. Now I'm going to start with a traditional joke. I'm not very good at them. And this is courtesy of my husband. It's the gardener's. What did the clay say to the garden compost? I don't want to be alone. Alone, alone, boom, boom. Okay. I'll stick to what I'm good at. Today we're looking at Luke 10, 38 to 42, which is about Martha and her sister Mary. I think the last song Michelle just played is Martha's theme tune. It is perfect. These two women and their famous brother Lazarus are close friends of Jesus. And their extraordinary story inspired me to write a novel called My Dear Martha, for reasons which will become obvious in a minute. The book is currently being edited uh, in preparation for publication. In Jesus' second year of ministry, he pays his friends a visit around October or November, between the Feast of Tabernacles, which was their harvest, and the Feast of Dedication. Starting at 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to him teaching. Not something women generally did in those days. And it's Martha's house. She's probably the eldest, and Lazarus, as head of the house, will be sat at the table with their guests. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. I think she probably had 20 guests or more. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? It's not fair. Tell her then to help me. She'll listen to you. She appeals to their close friend and honoured guest, Jesus, in a way that suggests a strong friendship already existed between them all. Right and Jewish tradition were on Martha's side, but she didn't get the answer she was expecting. Jesus didn't say, come on, Mary, get up off your bottom, go and help your sister. No. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. Some translations say, my dear Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. My dear Martha, you are distracted. You have lost sight of what really matters to you. 
It's easy to become distracted by the demands in our lives, the things we feel we should be doing, the things we feel we ought to be doing. Our duty to family, friends, ourselves, and even to God, just like Martha. In my book, I imagine her running from the room, not because of what Jesus has said to her, but because she hears the truth of his words and she's embarrassed herself in front of all her guests. I believe what was really at the bottom of Martha's outburst was that she too longed to sit in his presence and listen to what he had to say. And the unanswered longing in her heart turned to frustration with her sister because she was jealous. Perhaps Martha didn't feel she was worthy to sit at Jesus' feet and learn like Mary. The culture she'd grown up in didn't encourage women to do this. Their duty was in the home and serving. But Jesus saw her struggles. He understood her heart. And Martha heard and received the truth, which set her free bringing clarity to her thinking and a fresh perspective. Later in my book, she creeps back into the room and sits at his feet with Mary, what she'd really wanted to do all along. My dear Martha, the words of a loving saviour, longing for her to choose him above all the distractions of life and the busyness of the day. Look into your hearts. What's there? Part two. The second part of their story is found in John 11 and 12 and takes place in January or February of the following year when their brother Lazarus is taken ill. John 11, 1 to 8. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who would anoint, who would anoint. It says here anointed, but actually it hasn't happened yet. It was Mary who would anoint the Lord with ointment and wipe his feet with her hair in the week before Passover, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. The word for love used here comes from the Greek philio meaning to be a friend, to be fond of someone, to be personally attached to them. And later, when Jesus is talking to his disciples in verse 11, he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. So these two verses highlight the close relationship Jesus and his disciples had with Lazarus. Jesus didn't call his disciples' friends until the Last Supper in John 15, 15. But when Jesus, we're on verse 4, when Jesus heard the message, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus is giving them a heads up that something big is about to happen. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. The word used for love here comes from the Greek agapeo, to love in a social or moral sense. God's love in us to someone. Making it clear that Jesus also loved Martha and Mary, 
but in a moral way. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, or but when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in that place where he was. Then after two days, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said, Rabbi, the Jews were now just seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? You must be nuts. You're off your rocker. <laughs> no, the temple authorities had already tried to stone him before. John 11, 17 to 20. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. So we now see that the two-day delay ensured that Lazarus had been dead for four days when Jesus and his disciples turned up. According to Jewish belief, the soul or spirit stops trying to return to the body after three days. It, it's pretty sure by then that they're dead. So by the fourth day, no one's likely to quibble about whether Lazarus is dead or alive. He's dead. Bethany was near Jerusalem, to um, whichever verse I'm on, Bethany. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Mary's always on her bottom. <laughs> Martha goes straight to Jesus this time. Her faith in him leads to action. John 11, 21 to 27. Martha's first words to Jesus are loaded. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That Jesus could have healed her brother before he died, Martha did not doubt. And because of this, there is a note of reproach in her voice because he hadn't come sooner, despite the danger he was in. But she still went to meet him. She still had faith in him. The evidence is in a tiny phrase at the beginning of verse 22. I love the tiny phrases in the Bible. They speak volumes. That tiny phrase is, but even now, although my brother's dead, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She knew he was the son of God and loved them. And her faith in that moment was massive. She'd all, she, there's almost a ring of challenge in what she's just said. She's almost challenging Jesus. And he sees her belief in him and says, your brother will rise again. Can you imagine it? Her heart begins to race. Her brother will live. He can do it. He'll bring Lazarus back from the dead. But immediately she has another thought and her heart sinks as she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Is that what you mean? Martha has let one little thought squash her big faith in him. Despite this, what Jesus says to Martha next is mind-blowing. And he says it to no one else. 
verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the verb to be, the name God gives himself, written as Yahweh, meaning to be actively present. God is actively present with us every moment, past, present, future, forever. In the story of Moses and the burning bush in Exodus 3.14, when God is sending him to the captives in Egypt, Moses says, Who shall I say has sent me? And God scratches his head for a moment, then says, Tell them I am sent you. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. It's God's revelation of himself, if you like. When Jesus uses the same expression, I am, he is claiming to be God. And this, had, and this had really upset the temple authorities, which is why they wanted to stone him. I am God, the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me. John's gospel uses the term believe 98 times, and I haven't counted them, honestly. <laughs> um, and it means to believe in God's existence, to have confidence or faith in, and consequently to rely upon. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he looks at Martha and he says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? It's the key to what he's about to accomplish on the cross. And he's telling Martha. And Martha's response, verse 27. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world, or my favorite translation, whom the world is waiting for. He was the one the world, not just the Jews, had been waiting for. The saviour. Sin and its consequence, death, had separated man from his creator God. And Jesus had come to renew that spiritual bond, restore that life through his death and resurrection. It had been his mission all along. How much Martha understood is hard to say, but she was in no doubt about who he was and what he could do. John 11, 28 to 35. Jesus weeps. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary. Mary, followed by all the mourners and probably half the village, comes to Jesus. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. When Jesus sees everyone weeping, on one level he is deeply moved and he weeps too, filled with compassion for the family, his disciples and all those who loved Lazarus. 
But as the Son of God, he saw the power sin and death still had over those who believed in him and those who would come to believe in him. And it made him angry. That's why some translations use the word indignant, chafed in his spirit, rubbed up the wrong way, greatly troubled. We see the duality of Jesus in this story so clearly. We see his divine anger at sin and death and him weeping for his friends with compassion. 11, 38 to 46. When Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb, sorry, then Jesus, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by now there'll be an odour, for he's been dead four days. Martha may well have prepared her brother's body for burial, so she's well aware of what's in that tomb. Once again, she puts her foot in it. The words are out of her mouth before she can stop them, much like Peter. But this time, she does it in front of the whole village. Don't you just love Martha? She's so encouraging. She reacted to what she knew about the situation, letting go of her faith and trust in him. Fortunately, there is hope for all of us because Matthew 17, 20 says, we only need faith the size of a mustard seed to move mountains and I know how big they are. And that's a lot bigger than any of the stuff Yoda moved. And Jesus was standing right next to Martha when she opened her mouth. But he was standing right next to her and able to remind her of what he just said. Jesus said to her, and I'm putting in, my dear Martha, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? We have someone just as remarkable, just as close to remind us, the Holy Spirit. Good old HS. So they took away the stone, verse 41 and 42, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Death's hold on Lazarus had been broken by Jesus, but it was a glimpse of and preparation for what was about to happen on the cross. And of course, the glory of God was revealed in Christ his Son at a crucial time.
And that was so that the bigger picture was revealed. Verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. And those people would go and tell many more about what they had witnessed. And that they now believed Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher, was the son of God, the saviour. Witnessing is a powerful thing. When God does something for you, tell people. If he's, if he's the first thing in your life, you want to tell people, you want to share what he has done. Your conviction, your faith, your belief, your confidence in what God has done for you is infectious. And it's very difficult for people to argue with it. It's part of the commission in Matthew 28, 19, when Jesus tells his disciples to go into all the world and make more disciples. Lots of little disciples all running around. <laughs> but verse 46, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And the plot to put him to death was finalized. Jesus lays low for a while, out of harm's way. His time has not yet come. But he leaves his faithful friend Lazarus, a man selected to be resurrected, to handle the publicity that he's caused. And I have no doubt that both Martha and Mary played their parts in that too. Soon after its Jewish Passover, and thousands are arriving in Jerusalem to celebrate, word spreads even further. The people are looking for him, wondering if he'll dare to come. Then six days before Passover, Jesus returns to Bethany. John 12, 9 to 11. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, in Bethany, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. You'll have to read my book to find out what happens. Lazarus's resurrection was part of God's plan to reach as many people as possible before his son made his sacrifice on the cross. When Jesus was resurrected three days later, he'd also conquered death's hold over all those who believed in him, which is pretty amazing. So let's just summarize. Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. They were his close friends. But he delayed coming because there was a bigger plan than just restoring Lazarus's life. Out of the three siblings, Martha is the one we identify with. She's certainly the one I identify with. Too busy to know her own heart, and choose Jesus. 
the one whose faith soared and plummeted, the one who put her foot in it on more than one occasion and got distracted and forgot what he'd said to her, Jesus had said to her, even when he was standing right next to her. But she believed in who he was with faith that took action. And so she saw the glory of God revealed. It was my dear Martha that he trusted with an amazing world-changing truth about himself. Be encouraged by Martha because he told her he was the resurrection and the life.